Hello and welcome back to Rock Talk with Dr. Cropper. Today we are going to be covering one of my very favorite topics, uh, Led Zeppelin's 1975 North American tour and subsequent uh, Five Nights at Earl's Court Arena in London. Uh, part of why it's my favorite, I think, is because uh, 1975 was my introduction to live Led Zeppelin. I uh, stumbled across the uh, the version of Dazed and Confused from uh, the fourth night at Earl's Court on YouTube uh, when I was in, I want to say, grade 11, and uh, that got me hooked on Live Zeppelin. So uh, 75 has always had a uh, special place in my heart. Uh it takes a fair bit of heat amongst fans. It's not always uh, thought of as one of their better live years, and I can explain some of that in a minute. But uh, I think it's pretty, pretty, excuse me, good, and uh, I think you may as well if you follow my advice and check out the right shows. So the tour started. January the 18th in Minneapolis after uh, warm-up shows on the 11th and 12th in Rotterdam and Brussels, and it wrapped up on March 27th in Los Angeles, and then they played May 17th, 18th, 23rd, 24th, and 25th at Earl's Court Arena in London. So, uh, they came into this tour off of by far the longest uh, layoff between performances of their career to that point. Uh, prior to this, the longest they had gone without playing was uh, f about five months from uh, the end of September 1970 to the uh, beginning of March 1971. Uh, but this time around, at the end of their 1973 North American tour, uh, at the end of July 73, uh, after pretty well incessant touring since uh, they formed in August of 1968, they uh, took a long break, during which time they formed their own record label, Swan Song Records, as well as recorded their sixth album, Physical Graffiti which of course was a double album and uh, may actually be my favorite Led Zeppelin album. So both of those uh, ventures kept them busy during the layoff. It was also during this time that uh, John Paul Jones was offered the position of head choir master at Westminster Abbey in uh, London, and he seriously uh, considered leaving Zeppelin to take that job uh, partially because he wanted more time with his family, uh, which uh, touring as the biggest band in the world uh, takes you away from a fair bit. Uh, and he also had a, a fair bit of classical background with his father having been a concert pianist, uh, which is actually how he ended up being a bassist so that uh, he could play weddings and the like with his dad. Uh, but he also... Uh, learned piano through that. One other notable event that happened during the layoff was uh, Robert Plant's vocal surgery. He had uh, 
injured his voice in 1971, and it had slowly uh, deteriorated from there. Uh, he damaged it uh, in part by not uh, warming up before shows and just uh, not doing a lot of the general uh, things that you're supposed to do to take care of your voice, which uh, a lot of people in the rock genre were neglecting uh, at that point in uh, rock history. Uh, the opera singers and uh, people of that nature were uh, much sooner to the party as far as uh, thinking of your voice more like uh, an athlete thinks of their body as far as proper uh, preparation and rest and recuperation and uh, everything like that. So uh, besides not warming up, uh, there were several instances where uh, in the early years, Plant would have some sort of uh, flu or respiratory ailment and would soldier on and not cancel shows, uh, which is not the best thing for your voice, especially uh, singing the in the sort of range that he did and with the uh, the level of vigor that he did. So uh, in 1972, you can hear the effects of this where he still has the high range, but his voice sounds much more hollow compared to previous years. And then in 73, uh, he also still had the high range on occasion on his better nights, but his voice was very raspy by that point, which I don't actually mind it kind of blends with uh, Paige's very aggressive and kind of anemic guitar tone that he had uh, in 73 and Bonham's really bright sounding Amber Vista lights, which he had uh, recently acquired and used in 75 as well, but they don't sound quite as uh, twangy in 75, at least to my ears. Uh, I don't know if maybe the uh, between him figuring out how to tune them better or the the sound techs uh, figuring out how to uh, mic and mix them better, but I like the, the sound of them better in 75. Anyhow, that's a bit of a tangent. So Plant had uh, developed nodes on his vocal cords by the end of the uh, 1973 tour, which forced him to have surgery uh in the interim between that tour and this 75 one and while it fixed the uh the raspiness and the uh, cracking it also permanently altered the tone of his voice uh which is unfortunate because i mean he still sounded good and he's a very uh picturesque singer which uh helped him transition into a new phase of his uh his voice but uh, Prime Plant was uh, one of the best uh, voices we've ever had the privilege of hearing, and it's a shame that it was so short-lived. Uh, so anyhow, with all of that background information covered, we arrive at the tour. Now, I quickly want to touch on the visuals of the tour because uh, they... They really took 
took it a step further than they had before in that regard uh, for this time around, which was their uh, 10th tour of North America. Uh, North America, especially at that point, was uh, sort of the breadbasket of the world as far as live music, um, with it being uh, very populous and they're fairly well off with, uh, you know, lots of fans who had the, uh, the kind of disposable income to be able to attend shows, um, fervently. And, uh, also perhaps most importantly, they had, uh, plenty of venues that were suited to large scale concerts, uh, in the UK at that point, uh, you had soccer stadiums, but uh, hockey and basketball weren't really big there. So unless you were uh, someone who was able to play a really big festival or uh, something like that, there was a big gap between uh, a venue like Royal Albert Hall that holds 5,000 people and uh, you know playing to a festival that might be 100,000 or whatever. Uh, there weren't those there weren't really those 15 to 20,000 seat venues that North America had in basically every major and semi-major city because of uh, hockey and basketball being a big thing over here. So uh, the band were very much aware of all of that and really uh, went out of their way to uh, pull out all the stops when they were playing in North America. Uh, this tour was the uh, first tour by anybody to feature lasers, which uh, were a, a very new technology at the time, I guess. Uh, they, uh, they would use them even more extensively the next time around in 1977, but uh, yeah, this 75 tour uh, made Led Zeppelin the first band to use lasers on stage. Uh, Paul McCartney actually commented on it after uh, attending the, uh, I believe, the third night at Earl's Court, and uh, somebody asked him about the show, and he mentioned the laser, and he said he thought to himself, how brave is that Robert Plant He's standing right in front of this thing that could saw him clean in half? But uh, anyway, so that was a uh, a big step up visually. The stage on this tour also featured pretty large light bulbs uh, adorning the perimeter of the stage, which uh, added to the uh, the visual experience of attending one of these shows. Uh, furthermore, they also had a, uh, a large sort of sign on the backdrop of the stage that would light up with uh, Led Zeppelin in caps lock uh, before the uh, encore. Uh, so that would have been uh, quite something for people who were there. And then the Earl's Court uh, shows also featured a video screen because the arena was equipped with that, with that which was uh, pretty novel for the time. Uh, this was the first tour of Zeppelins that utilized a drum riser, making it easier for everybody to see Bonham, who was uh, always a very entertaining drummer, uh, visually, it's a bit funny because uh, economy of movement is typically uh, a mark of a really good drummer, and 
he definitely had that, but he also had the ability to over-exaggerate certain movements to, uh, I guess, just make it more interesting uh, for the crowd, um, which is something that I've tried to incorporate into my own playing. Uh, and also on this tour, uh, Paige in particular continued to adopt more and more elaborate and uh, esoteric stage clothes. At first he would, uh, and indeed all of them would, uh, you know, wear funky stuff that was uh, in keeping with the times, late 60s, early 70s, but wasn't necessarily so out there that it was uh, unmistakable that they were the performer, like you wouldn't see somebody in the audience or on the street wearing that. But uh, starting in 73 and then for sure by 75, uh, as Paige unveiled his uh, black dragon suit, he in particular began to wear really uh, out there and uh, visually spectacular uh, stuff that clearly differentiated performer from uh, audience member. So the uh, the release of physical graffiti should have happened before the tour started, but uh, various delays having to do with uh, the album artwork and that sort of thing uh, caused it to be released in between the first and second leg of the tour. Uh, so uh, that didn't affect the band from incorporating uh, several songs from it right from the get-go, uh, but the fans on the first leg of the tour would be hearing them uh, for the first time at the show, which is uh, bold on the band's part. You might say, although by this point they were pretty well uh, at the top of the world um, musically, but uh, must have been cool for the crowd. So the uh, the typical set list uh, by after they had finished kind of tinkering with it uh, by the start of February through to the end was rock and roll transitioning into sick again, which is the the first physical graffiti song in the set, then Over the Hills and Far Away, then uh, In My Time of Dying, another physical graffiti song, then the song remains the same, uh, transitioning into the rain song, just like they do at the start of the Houses of the Holy album, then Cashmere, another physical graffiti song, then No Quarter, then Trampled Underfoot, another new one, then Moby Dick, then Dazed and Confused, followed by Stairway to Heaven. Uh, this is also the first tour that they used uh, Stairway as the pre-encore closer. And then for the encore, most shows, it was a whole lot of love, uh, an abbreviated version that became longer as the tour went on with them, really expanding the, uh, the theremin midsection and then transitioning into black dog depending on the night they would also uh sometimes throw in uh either heartbreaker or communication breakdown um but before the uh 
setlist became sort of settled like that at the beginning of the tour, they also played the Wanton song from Physical Graffiti, which uh, I'm not sure why they abandoned after the first uh, couple of weeks of the tour, because I think it sounded really good. Uh, they also played When the Levee Breaks at the beginning of the tour uh, for even fewer shows than the Wanton song. Uh, and that's the only time that they ever played uh, When the Levee Breaks, which is unfortunate because I think it sounded pretty good live. Uh, perhaps uh, Paige didn't feel like doing uh, two songs on slide, which uh, Levy and In My Time of Dying both are. Uh, I'm not sure. And the first part of the tour also had how many more times instead of Dazed and Confused. Uh, the reason for that is Paige broke one of his fingers in a train door in London a few weeks before the start of the tour, which forced him to adopt a, a three-finger fretting technique, which precluded him from playing Dazed and Confused, as well as Since I've Been Loving You. So both of those were cut at the beginning, and then Since I've Been Loving You never really got added back in, apart from a few special occasions, because I'm assuming uh, because of Plant's voice, which I will get to in a second, and then for the Earl's Court shows in London, they added uh, Tangerine in an electric arrangement uh, in contrast to the uh, acoustic ways they had done it in 1972. Uh, and as well as an acoustic set uh, of going to California, that's the way, and Bronyar Stomp. So or Brown Rock Stomp, I should say. So uh, for the Earl's Court shows, they inserted those four in between No Quarter and Trampled Underfoot. If you listened to the last episode, uh, you will have noticed that uh, the Grateful Dead's uh, Europe 72 tour featured a lot of, or a decent amount of variety in the set list from night to night, and that was uh, very much part of the Dead's um, modus operandi for uh, their whole career, but not so much uh, for Zeppelin. They would uh, have a much more static set list from night to night for uh, the duration of whatever tour they were on, uh, preferring to focus uh, almost entirely on the improvisation within the songs that were in the set list. Uh, now the thing is, the Grateful Dead did that too, uh, which brings me to a little—I guess you would call it a pet theory of mine, or it's not even a theory, just a way to visualize this. So, if you were to graph improvisation on a chart, uh, sorry to take you back to math class, but if you had uh, the uh, your x-axis would be how much the actual like group of songs played changes from night to night, and then your y-axis is how much the band improvises within whatever song they're playing. Uh, Zeppelin would be high on the y-axis, but fairly low on the x-axis, 
whereas a band like the Grateful Dead would be uh, in the far right corner, like top right corner, uh, being high in both uh, inter and intro song uh, improvisation. Moving on then to uh, the tour dates themselves, uh, I'm going to do a quick sort of chronological walkthrough of the tour uh, and then maybe do a little compare and contrast uh, between uh, the North American dates and the Earl's Court shows. And then finally, I will uh, give you my top 25 uh, shows of the year. There were 43, I believe, if that, uh, either 43 or 45, uh, depending on whether that number I pulled up included the warm-up shows anyhow. Uh, but a lot of them uh, were less than stellar, as I will explain in a minute. So we'll just do the top 25, because I'll be honest, there are plenty that I have not listened to and uh, don't really intend to either. So they uh, begin the the tour proper January 18th in Minneapolis, and you may be asking yourself why they would tour North America in the dead of winter and why they would start in the coldest part of the country. Uh, as far as why they would start in the East, it's more about wanting to finish on the West Coast, which they liked the best, uh, as I do as well. Um, but yeah, I'm not entirely sure why they decided to tour in the winter. I know the uh, Rolling Stones toured North America in the uh, summer of 75, and they didn't want to tour at the same time as the Stones after... Uh, what happened in 1972 when their tours overlapped and the Stones took the lion's share of the uh, media coverage despite uh, Zeppelin putting on a show that most nights was twice as long and they felt at least um, was musically superior. But I'm not sure which of them booked their 75 tours first. Uh, anyhow, Zeppelin, here Zeppelin were uh, touring a very cold part of the continent in January, and Plant caught the flu. Uh, it must have happened uh, between the Minneapolis show and the uh, first Chicago show two nights later because a uh, a small snippet of a soundboard recording of the Minneapolis show uh, surfaced just a few months ago, and it shows that Plant's voice was fine then. So anyhow, they do the Minneapolis show, he catches the flu, and then they arrive in Chicago for three nights in a row at uh, Chicago Stadium, where the, the Bulls and the Blackhawks played at the time. And uh, from there, they move through uh, the uh, more B-list cities of the Midwest. And uh, at one point in there, plants flew so bad that they had to postpone the St. Louis show to the end of the first leg. Those shows in that uh, first uh, 
couple weeks of the tour, especially after Chicago, are uh, generally thought of to be some of the worst of their career, which uh, is probably true. But uh, they're still not, in most cases, just completely awful uh, pieces of music. I saw a quote one time where uh, somebody asked Robert Plant about how they were live or whatever the question was, and he said, on a, on a bad night, we were better than most, and on a good night, we were untouchable. And uh, I think that rings pretty true. Anyhow, they, uh, they final, at, uh, around the start of February, on the 3rd, they arrived in New York, which uh, was always one of their favorite places to play, not their absolute favorite, uh, but everybody, um, at the very least, gives New York their best shot because of... Uh, the national media presence and all of that, and it being the uh, most populous, populous city uh, in the country. Now, another um, side effect, I guess, of uh, them touring during the winter was that they were playing basketball and hockey arenas during basketball and hockey season. So on the... Uh, for the uh, the New York and Los Angeles shows where they were playing uh, five or six nights there, they uh, they had to do some funny things scheduling wise as far as uh, make splitting the New York shows between Madison Square Garden, which was their uh, preferred place to play there, as it is for most artists, um, and uh, Nassau Coliseum. Uh, a couple, well, more than a couple, I don't know, maybe 15, I want to say, something like that, 15 miles from downtown. Anyhow, uh, they were supposed to do five shows in New York, three at Madison Square Garden and two uh, at Nassau Coliseum, but they ended up doing a third at Nassau Coliseum as well because the uh, Boston show got canceled after uh, fans trashed the Boston Garden while they were camping out inside of it, uh, waiting to buy tickets um, a couple, couple of weeks or a month or whenever it would have been before the tour started, and uh, the mayor banned them from the city, which apparently he said years later was uh, one of the worst decisions that he ever made as mayor. Uh, it, uh, it's obviously precluded them from uh, scheduling a show in Boston uh, in 1977 as well. So anyway, that had them at six shows in New York, uh, which were scattered between February 3rd and February 14th. It went uh, Madison Square Garden on the 3rd, uh, Nassau Coliseum on the 4th, Montreal on the 6th, back to Madison Square Garden on the 7th, down to Philadelphia on the 8th, down a little bit further to uh, Landover, Maryland, which uh, is a suburb of D.C. on the 10th, then back up to Madison Square Garden on the 12th, and then uh, two more at Nassau Coliseum on the 13th and 14th, which uh, is uh, less than ideal scheduling, we'll say that, and 
definitely wouldn't happen uh, if they had been touring in the summer and only had to uh, sort of fight with other musicians for whichever venues they wanted to use. Uh, and then on the 16th, they uh, played the rescheduled St. Louis show and then took a break for a few weeks. Now, that stretch that I just detailed, um, the uh, the last two weeks of the uh, of the first leg, they started to hit their stride. Uh, Dazed and Confused re-entered the set list in uh, for that February 3rd show, the first one in New York, uh, which makes uh, the show before that in uh, Pittsburgh the final uh, performance of how many more times uh, of their career. Um, and then by the Montreal show, uh, Paige had his first really good night of the year. Uh, and the, uh, the Philadelphia show might be his very best show of the year. Uh, he plays pretty well as good as 73, uh, that Philly show. Unfortunately, the recording, uh, isn't the best, but that's a really good one. And then, uh, the, uh, the show on the 12th at Madison Square Garden uh, is very good and energetic. Uh, one of the best sounding recordings. It's a fantastic uh, matrix between a soundboard and a really good audience recording. And then uh, the two shows that on the 13th, 14th at Nassau Coliseum are really good as well. The 13th, especially um, it uh, also features a guest appearance by Ronnie Wood, who would a few months later join the Rolling Stones and is one of very few performances or uh, guest appearances rather uh, in Zeppelin's career. Uh, and then after the uh, two week or so, well, I guess it only ended up being 11 days uh, after the break, they uh, started off in the South on February 27th in Houston uh, and that, which presumably was the, uh, debut of, um, Jones using the, uh, grand piano during no quarter. Uh, I say presumably because a recording of that show has yet to surface, but, uh, the following night in, uh, Baton Rouge, he is playing the grand piano. So presumably he started doing it the night before. And then from there, they headed to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, they played Fort Worth on March 3rd, which is uh, one of my favorites of the year. Uh, Bonham especially is very uh, lively, that show, as he always seemed to be in Texas. Uh, when you read stuff about him, it it seems like Texas would have been his kind of place. You know, he, uh, I mean, he farmed cattle in his spare time back home in England and, you know, Texas, especially Fort Worth and their cattle with the, uh, the stockyards and all of that. Uh, so I'm not surprised that he would have really enjoyed himself in Texas and felt like it was, uh, sort of a home away from home. And also it's a sort of larger than life place. And he was a larger than life character. Uh, and then the fourth and fifth of March, they, uh, we're in Dallas. Uh, the The show on the fourth is um, pretty shaky, but uh, the one on the fifth is really good uh, and features one of the best uh, 
Moby Dick's a nice long one too, uh, over 27 minutes. Uh, from there, they uh, headed out to the West Coast, which is where they uh, really got off, if you will. And I, sometimes you almost get the sense that the whole tour before they got out west, they're like itching to get through it to get to the West Coast. Uh, certainly in 75 and 77 when they planned it so that they finished out there. Um, so they started the West Coast swing on March 10th in San Diego and then up to Long Beach for shows on the 11th and 12th. Uh, more instances here of them having to uh, do some funny scheduling due to uh, it being hockey and basketball season. Uh, the, the second Long Beach show on March 12th, by the way, is uh, one of the very best of the year. Uh, and then back down to San Diego, March 14th, and then up to the Pacific Northwest for four shows, which uh, might be the best, no, not might be, is the best uh, four-show stretch of the year. Seattle on the 17th, Vancouver on the 19th and 20th, and Seattle again on the 21st. Uh, and then back down to uh, the Los Angeles area for three shows on the, at the uh, Forum to close out the tour on the 24th, 25th, and 27th. Uh, and then they had just under two months off before uh, the five shows at Earl's Court in May on the uh, 17th, 18th, 23rd, 24th, and 25th. And uh, after the tour, they had planned to come back to the States in August for August and September for a couple of big outdoor stadium shows uh, at the uh, for sure at the Rose Bowl and then I think Oakland Coliseum as well and I believe Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City and uh, the uh, the Sooners Stadium in Oklahoma uh, but that leg of the tour unfortunately, was canceled after Plant got in a car accident while on vacation in Greece in July. Uh, and then they wrote and recorded the Presence album instead. But anyhow, so that's a a quick walkthrough of the tour. Yeah, okay, so the quick compare and contrast between North America and Earl's Court. The North American shows, they have a more adventurous feel. Um, also, Bonham especially was much more lively in North America, and I'm not sure why. Um, they, those Earl's Court shows were significant for them because it was the first time that they had brought their full North American production over to England. Uh, they had always uh, prioritized North America because of what I touched on earlier, and uh, you know, had a more visuals and uh, just a bigger production over here. And uh, this was the first, the Earl's Court shows were the first time that they uh, shipped all of that over to England. Uh, so they're significant in that respect. But as far as the performances as themselves, uh, they aren't as adventurous as the. North American shows, especially the the West Coast shows, 
those ones featured uh, some of the most adventurous shows of their year of their career with uh, you know twenty to twenty five minute really jazzy versions of No Quarter and uh, thirty five to forty five minute. Uh, epic versions of Dazed and Confused, and that really got trimmed down in Earl's Court, I think partially to accommodate for the addition of Tangerine and the acoustic set. Uh, but uh, it's a shame because they uh, they lose a bit of the the fun and variety that the West Coast shows especially had, at least for me. And then as a drummer, Bonham being more subdued detracts from my enjoyment of Earl's Court a little bit as well. Uh, but they're definitely still worth looking into. Um, anyhow, so with all of that out of the way, I think I will dive into the uh, top 25. Okay, now before we dive into the top 25, I have to uh, preface it by reminding you of the uh, the issue of sound quality as it pertains to bootlegs, uh, which I mentioned in the, uh, the introductory episode for sure. Um, the, uh, the Grateful Dead 72 tour, which we covered last time was, uh, all 22 shows were professionally recorded and it's been officially released. So it's really easy to compare shows apples to apples because they're all available uh, uncut and in pristine sound quality. That is not the case with pretty much any other tour. However, the, uh, 1975 tour is actually probably the best in that respect. Um, as far as Zeppelin tours are concerned, because, uh, there are a lot of soundboards in circulation for 75, uh, now, when I say soundboard, that means somebody plugged a recording device into the mixing board, and what you're hearing is a direct copy of whatever was being fed through the speakers at the venue. So they're mostly consistent from show to show within a given tour, because uh, the band's using the same instruments and it's the same sound text and everything. However, uh, the mix that was going out of the speakers would be adjusted to quirks about each venue. Like if a particular venue uh, was naturally very bass heavy, then uh, there wouldn't be as much bass in the mix and that will be reflected in the soundboard and that sort of thing. But uh, for the most part, uh, they're pretty consistent sounding and the 1975 soundboards are uh, definitely the nicest sounding of all of the uh, Zeppelin years. They're very warm and full. Uh, part of this is because they were recorded on reel-to-reel uh, -reel tapes as opposed to 77, for instance, which were recorded on cassette. Um, the uh, It's most likely the source for these tapes and the reason that they've uh, made their hands into the ways of the bootleggers is uh, they most likely come from a uh, former employee of Shoko who were uh, Zeppelin's uh, like sound and lighting and all that uh, company. So uh, 
anyhow, there's a lot of soundboards for 75 and the other shows that we have are audience tapes. Uh, the only thing that's been officially released, uh, from 1975 is uh, a couple songs from Earl's Court were on the Led Zeppelin DVD that came out in 2003. And there's the complete video of the uh, fourth and fifth nights there uh, in circulation on YouTube and uh, bootleg circles and all that, but it's not officially released. Uh, so anyway, with that in mind, the top 25. At number 25, I have the first night at the Forum, March 24th. Um, it's a pretty blasé show. Uh, I would say, I would suspect that they were uh, tired from the, the epic um, three nights in a row at the end of that Pacific Northwest swing, except they had uh, two full days off in between. So I think it's more likely just that they, uh, I don't know, the end of tour, uh, partying with all the groupies and that in Los Angeles, maybe caught up with them. Uh, anyhow, it, it does feature a pretty decent version of no quarter, uh, with a cool, uh, piano solo from John Paul Jones that, uh, features hints of Concerto de Aran was, if I said that correctly, I hope. Um, but other than that, uh, not a whole lot to, uh, recommend it. It's pretty skippable. Um, it, uh, it's the only of the three at the forum that has a, uh, an extra encore song. They play Heartbreaker in addition to the, uh, the whole lot of love black dog combo. And it is a Mike Millard audience recording. He, I'm not sure if I mentioned him in the first episode. He was a guy who taped a lot of bands in Los Angeles in the seventies. And starting with this tour, he pretended to be in a wheelchair so that he could bring in uh, really good recording equipment and hide it under his blanket. And uh, that would also give him uh, prime seating. So his, uh, his recordings are really good sound quality wise. This one is a little bit, um, thinner sounding and hissy compared to some of his others, but still a pretty good audience recording. Okay. Number 24, uh, March 10th, first night in San Diego. Uh, this one is a little hard to judge. It's the, uh, it's an audience recording and, uh, probably the, uh, the only uh, show of the second leg other than the Houston one where there's no recording at all um, for which sound quality is a bit of a barrier. All the rest of the second leg is either uh, soundboards or uh, really good audience recordings. Um, anyway, so it's a bit more energetic than the, uh, the March 24th show. That's why I have it uh, number 24. Number 23, the, uh, March 11th, uh, first night in Long Beach. Uh, this one is available as both a Millard recording and a soundboard. And I believe a matrix as well. Uh, it's, uh, it has a good Moby Dick. Uh, Bonham's pretty, uh, 
lively for this show, but it kind of, uh, I don't know if the fact that I'm always looking forward to the next night when I'm listening to it affects my opinion of it. Probably does to a certain extent, but, uh, it's pretty middle of the pack show. Number 22, I have the February 16th show in St. Louis, which was, uh, rescheduled from a few weeks prior, uh, due to plants flu. Uh, it's not as good as the, the last three New York shows that preceded it. Um, I think maybe they were ready for the break or sort of expended the, all of their energy, uh, impressing in New York. Uh, but it still has some good moments. It has a really good, in my time of dying, a uh, really good no quarter. And, uh, in Heartbreaker, during the encores, they uh, do a little bit of uh, Jimmy Reed's Shame, 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 which is cool. Uh, number 21, March 14th, the second night in San Diego. Uh, this show is uh, not quite as good as some of the uh, the titans that surround it, but... Uh, definitely has some cool moments. It has uh, a good In My Time of Dying as well, and a uh, fantastic no quarter, the longest of 75, uh, the only one that crosses the 30-minute mark, and uh, I think it ranks fifth longest uh, of their career, only topped by a couple from uh, June of 77. If I'm remembering correctly, it has a pretty good uh, Stairway to Heaven solo as well. Uh, so anyway, kind of similar to the ones before it as far as mostly being a middle-of-the-road show, but uh, it has better peaks than the one before it, so it lands there. Number 20, I have the last night in Chicago, January 22nd. Uh, this is the only show from January I put in here, which is likely subject to change if the complete soundboard, uh, okay, let's be hopeful, when the complete soundboard of the Minneapolis show surfaces, uh, since it uh, shows that Plant did not have the flu yet, uh, so his voice uh, sounded pretty good, at least in the clips that have been leaked, and presumably was good the rest of the show. So I'm guessing the Minneapolis one will rank higher than this once it finally comes out. But uh, the last night in Chicago is uh, pretty good. And uh, despite Plant's vocal issues, uh, Paige plays pretty decent uh, in spite of the uh, broken finger. And uh, it's partly where I have it on the list because of uh, set list variety, since it's the easily the best of the, the shows we have recordings of. Uh, at this point that have the that January set list with when the levy or well no sorry it doesn't have when the levy breaks they dropped it uh even before this show but uh has the wanton song and how many more times uh so that's that number 19 I have the fourth night at Earl's Court May 24th I anticipate this being a controversial uh pick because a lot of people hold this show in very high regard, and I did at first as well. It's the uh, the one that I mentioned earlier in this episode. Uh, 
that the the dazed and confused from this show is the the first live zeppelin that i ever stumbled across and i still really like the dazed and confused from this show the problem with this show is that they start off extremely uh sluggish for the first uh at least half i might even say two-thirds of the show uh it's not really until trampled underfoot that they hit their stride now when they do it's a uh a good stride it's a very good uh, trampled underfoot a long and pretty good moby dick like 29 minutes uh and then one of the best 75 dazed and confused and uh one of the better ones overall and uh a very good stairway to heaven solo and uh, a strong encore with a whole lot of love featuring a little bit of turn on your love light but it's uh not enough to make up for the the sluggish start and have it any higher in the ranking i also am not personally a big fan of uh the no quarter at this show a lot of people uh rank it as one of their favorite if not their favorite version of no quarter and i just don't understand that to be honest with you number 18 the second night at the forum in los angeles march 25th uh this show follows a pretty similar pattern to uh the may 24th one we just covered with uh a bit of a sluggish start and then a strong finish. Uh, the difference is they hit their stride a bit sooner on this one, at least to my ears. I think uh, by no quarter, they sound uh, really good on this show. Uh, it's also a very unique no quarter uh, for two reasons. First, um, Jones, before Bonham comes in, uh, he like coming out of his piano solo, he sort of teases just about every, uh, groove that he's played, uh, for the piano drum duel that starts the, the jam in the middle of the song. Uh, he teases just about every groove he's used for the past month before finally settling on one. Uh, so it's cool for that reason. And then he also switches back to the uh, electric piano partway through the jam, which, uh, he did not do very often. Uh, he did it at one of the New York 77 shows, which, uh, I'll mention when we do the 77 episode. And, uh, I think those might be the only two times I'll have to double check that. This March 25th show also has a, uh, a very good dazed and confused. It's the, uh, fourth longest of all time, uh, coming in at about 39 and a half minutes and it also uh is very unique because in the uh the section just before jimmy's bow solo where uh plant in 73 and the first part of 75 would sing uh lyrics from scott mckenzie's san francisco and then in the uh second half of 75 would sing uh lines from Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young's uh, Woodstock. Uh, in this show, he sings uh, lyrics from Spanish Harlem instead, which uh, fits pretty well and uh, sounds really cool. So uh, this show is notable for that. Number 17, I have February 6th in Montreal. Uh, it's possible this one should be higher. I 
I'll be honest, I listened to it in its entirety for the first time this year, and that was uh, a few months and a lot of concerts ago. I don't remember a ton of the details, but uh, it's a very good night for Paige, and uh, it could be higher, but uh, I feel confident with where I have it. Uh, number 16, I have the February 28th show in Baton Rouge at uh, LSU's basketball stadium, or arena, I should say. It's right across the street from uh, Tiger Stadium, there, uh, where the football team plays. Uh, I've been down there. It's a really cool campus with the, uh, the, the willows and magnolias and swamps and everything. It, uh, you know, sometimes you go to a place and it doesn't look the way you expected the place to look. When you get there, it's like, okay, this is exactly what I thought Louisiana would look like. Uh, so anyway, that, uh, perhaps inspired them to, uh, play a good show. Uh, Bonham is, uh, playing very well on this night, uh, as he usually did in the South, uh, like I mentioned earlier with the uh, the Dallas Fort Worth shows, um, he uh, the whole band always seemed to play pretty well in the South. I think they liked it down there. Uh, I'm not sure what their reasons were, but uh, I like it a lot down there too. So uh, the the Baton Rouge show is interesting because they start off really well and energetic for the first two thirds. It's kind of the opposite of the. Uh, the LA and London shows we covered a few spots ago. The The first two thirds are phenomenal. And then uh, after Moby Dick, uh, Day's Stairway and the Encores, uh, Page is a bit of a train wreck, um, especially the Black Dog solo. Uh, most fans believe uh, Jack Daniels to be the cause of this. Uh, there's uh, pictures of him... Uh, slugging it pretty hard backstage, uh, in 75. And, uh, I'm not sure if that was maybe as a, uh, a pain relief mechanism, uh, with his, uh, his injured finger giving him trouble. But, uh, he, uh, he often seemed to be noticeably sloppier after Moby Dick. So I think he was probably, uh, hitting the jack, during the drum solo most nights and then uh, perhaps not realizing how it was affecting his playing for the last third of the show. Uh, most of us fans also suspect that on the nights like the uh, the London and LA shows that I mentioned a few spots ago where Paige actually gets better after Moby Dick, uh, we suspect that he uh, did a bit of snorting instead of uh, swigging during Moby Dick, if you catch my meaning. Uh, anyhow, so that's Baton Rouge. Uh, number 15, I have the third night at Earl's Court, May 23rd. This show uh, it, it is a, uh, a really good one. It has um, the longest no quarter of the Earl's Court run uh, and uh, features Paige playing a uh, Stratocaster on both No Quarter and Over the Hills and Far Away, which he also did on the second Earl's Court show. Uh, and it's the only time in 75 that he uh, used the Strat and the only time 
in their career that he uh, used it on those songs, as far as I know. Uh, it, uh, I think it lent itself well to those two. Uh, it's probably too bad he didn't use it on them more often. Uh, this is the show that uh, Paul McCartney went to, which uh, Plant mentions at one point uh, during the show, and uh, he picked a pretty uh, decent one to attend. I could probably have this one um, a little higher, but I'm uh, a little less familiar with it than the ones I have ahead of it. I have listened to it multiple times, but uh, it's a so-so audience recording that's uh, a little tougher to uh, to get into and uh, discern the details. Um, it also has a very long but kind of plodding uh, cashmere. The Baton Rouge show, by the way, is a uh, a, a really good soundboard. Um, anyway, uh, so that's uh, that's that show number fourteen. I have February fourteenth, the last night in New York at uh, Nassau Coliseum. Uh, this show is notable because it features the first of only three versions of Since I've Been Loving You in 1975. Uh, the other two were The Last Night in Seattle and The Last Night in Los Angeles. Uh, those three cities were uh, their favorite places to play in the uh, in the States in most people's estimation. Um, LA would probably be their favorite and Seattle second and then uh, New York third, but they still liked it um no matter how you feel about it uh it's still the most popular city and uh the uh the center for sort of the national media so uh everybody always wants to to play well there uh and i think that uh that media presence um you can hear a difference uh between the New York shows and uh, the LA shows, for instance, in uh, on pretty well all their tours, the New York shows uh, so, tend to feel a little bit more uh, focused. Maybe uh, I don't want to say business-like, but more like they're uh, like really trying to put on a technically sound performance to impress the. Uh, the critics and then the the Los Angeles shows by contrast are just a wild party where they're uh you know still playing well and tight but uh showboating a little extra maybe for the uh the California groupies and just having fun in the sun anyway so uh it has the uh yeah the first of the 375 since I've been loving you and they play it pretty well considering they haven't played it for a year and a half. They're also starting to stretch no quarter out more by this point. Uh, it's uh, It crosses the 20-minute mark, this show, which uh, I'm pretty sure is the first time for that, and then uh, it wouldn't be long before it uh, exploded even longer than that once the second leg started. features a very good version of Trampled Underfoot, uh, really aggressive, um, and a, a bit of a strange version of Heartbreaker uh, closing it out, 
with uh, them sort of losing track of each other, uh, coming back into the last verse, which uh, makes for an interesting finish nonetheless. The plant also uh, revises the uh, the lyrics at the beginning of beginning of sick again to say uh, the uh, New York Queens instead of the Los Angeles Queens or LA Queens rather. Um, anyway, number thirteen, I have March fifth in Dallas. Uh, I'm sure a lot of leadheads might uh, disagree with me putting this one ahead of uh, the Valentine's Day show. Uh, but I really enjoyed this one when I was listening to it, uh, this year. It's, uh, it's a soundboard as the, uh, February 14th show is, but this one is, uh, I would probably say the second best sounding soundboard of 75. Uh, very warm. Jones is really upfront. Uh, the bass sounds phenomenal. Uh, it features one of the best versions of Over the Hills and Far Away. Uh, it's like Paige, Jones, and Bonham are all soloing at once, but still in sync during the midsection. It's uh, really cool, and the return to the uh, to the main riff features some great stuff. Uh, it uh, also fe features um, a great and long uh, Moby Dick, as I mentioned earlier, and... Uh, just an all-around uh, good show. It has a bit of a that relaxed last last night in a town sort of feel where they've uh, they've settled in and the whatever jitters they had when they first got there are gone. It has kind of an inertia to it. It's a very enjoyable listen to me, at least. And at number twelve, I have. The first night in Seattle, March 17th. Now, the four Pacific Northwest shows have a very unique vibe to them. They're, uh, it's almost like a little mini tour within the rest of the tour. Uh, all four of them are, are really good and feature some unique, uh, little motifs within, uh, songs that get developed over the course of the four nights up there and then sort of never resurface, uh, which is a shame. Uh, some of those are in Dazed and Confused. Um, one in particular in between the, uh, the lead into the bow solo and the, uh, San Francisco, uh, interlude. It, uh, it makes its appearance, uh, here on the first night in Seattle. And then, uh, uh, gets sort of developed uh, fully the, by the last night in Seattle and then they don't do it again. Um, and they had so many little uh, throwaway to them uh, riffs and uh, motifs that uh, to them it was like a spur of the moment thing that they play once and never do again. And uh, to another band, it could have been the highlight of their whole career. Uh, this Seattle show uh, also features um, the first of the, the really jazzy versions of No Quarter, which uh, are another uh, 
sort of calling card of these four Pacific Northwest shows. Uh, if you go on YouTube actually and search, uh, like no quarter groove, uh, and you find the one that has a picture of Bonham sort of, uh, with a sullen look on his face, uh, wearing a, so- a Shoko t-shirt, uh, it's from this show and it, uh, starts at the end of Jones's piano solo and, uh, you hear the, uh, it's about a three minute, uh, segment with just Jones and Bonham, one of the longer, uh, two piece sections of the jam. And, uh, it's really good. It's not quite as good as, uh, some of the subsequent versions once, once page comes in, but, uh, the piano drum, uh, bit is really good. This show, it also has a, uh, fantastic, uh, solo on Jimmy's part, uh, during Stairway to Heaven. Number 11, I have the last of the three nights at Madison Square Garden and the first of the three final nights in New York, uh, February 12th. Uh, this show is probably the best sound quality of the year. It's a, a phenomenal matrix between uh, a really good audience recording and a soundboard. Um, so it sounds... Uh, about as close to an official release as you're ever going to get a bootleg to sound. Uh, Plant is not at his best this show, but uh, the other three are uh, really tearing it up, especially Bonham. Uh, It has a couple flaws, like uh, Plant singing the, uh, the second and third verses of the song remains the same out of order. Uh, and, uh, you know, some sticky fingered soloing from Paige as he recovered from, uh, the broken finger, but it also has some really good highlights. Uh, it has a, uh, a awesome version of over the hills and far away. Uh, one of, uh, one of the longer ones in a really, really good midsection. Um, it also has uh, a pretty cool no quarter, uh, fantastic cashmere um no quarter at this point in the tour was interesting because uh jones hadn't switched to the grand piano for the the midsection of the song yet um but they had sort of you could tell they were reaching the the limits of how far they could evolve it with him staying on the electric piano so it's uh they're basically like longer 73 versions uh, which is okay and still nice, but, uh, Paige wasn't quite soloing at the level that he was in 73. So uh, I think it was a really good move for Jones to, to add in the grand piano for the second leg. Uh, this show also has, uh, a good dazed and confused, but the highlight of it for me is the final encore of heartbreaker, which features, um, some of uh, Bonham's best uh, fills of their entire career, uh, just really aggressive and fast uh, during almost every break, uh, during the initial verses and at the end of the song. Uh, so that uh, gives this one a boost over a couple of the ones behind it, uh, for me at least. And now we arrive at the top 10. At number 10, I have the Fort Worth show on March 3rd. 
this is a relatively uh, recently surfaced soundboard. Uh, it only came out, I want to say, three, maybe four years ago. Uh, and before that, there had been no recording of it. Uh, and it was, uh, I would say, a revelation when it came out. Um, it might be the if not the most energetic show of, uh, of the year, it's definitely, uh, in the top five in that regard. Uh, Bonham especially is, uh, just raring to go from the start. Um, over the hills and far and far away is, uh, thunderous with, um, he and Paige sort of going at it in the midsection. Uh, in my time of dying has some cool fills from Bonham. The song remains the same is one of the best versions of the year. Uh, Bonham's bass drum is very active on it. Uh, playing the, the, uh, the most sort of aggressive version of the, the pattern that you can do, I guess, uh, playing it more true to the studio version. Um, and, uh, he, he, I love the uh, the way he explodes after the uh, the, the kind of stop start uh, section towards the end of the song between the second and third verse. I'm not sure what to call it, but uh, I think the diehards will know what I mean. As a very good cashmere, uh, a, a good no quarter with uh, Bonham again. Uh, lively and page has a pretty good solo in it um moby dick is really good uh as it usually is on a night when uh bonham's feeling himself uh and it features some uh some unique uh patterns that i haven't heard him do uh on other shows in 75 and a very active bass drum uh like in the song remains the same which uh was one of the the really fast bass drum notes with one foot were uh, a signature of his playing uh, in the early days, especially, but then he kind of got away from that uh, as their career went on. And I'm not sure if that was uh, deliberate or just from uh, not doing it as much. Uh, that particular aspect of a drummer's uh, skill set is. Uh, hard to build up and very easy to lose if you don't uh, do it regularly because um, what my suspicion is that you don't really there aren't any other activities really that utilize that that muscle group so the only way to to keep uh, to keep that ability to play really fast with one foot is to uh, to keep doing it uh, but anyway he plays some some pretty fast and aggressive stuff with the bass drum on Moby Dick at this Fort Worth show. Uh, Dazed and Confused is also a good energetic version, which uh, some of the 75 versions are not. Um, and uh, Stairway also, uh, once again, Bonham is uh, playing more like he would in 77, really uh, going for it every chance he gets. And uh, the encores are pretty good too, uh, especially um, in the uh, the theremin section of Whole Lot of Love. I seem to remember there being a cool uh, kind of stop-start groove that they get into. 
Uh, so yeah, Fort Worth is number 10. Number nine, I have the final show of the year, The Last Night at Earl's Court, May 25th. This is the longest show of their career, uh, over three hours, 45 minutes. And uh, one thing that I should bring up at this point is they never did an intermission. When I talk about, like in the last episode, The Grateful Dead playing these uh, shows that are well over three hours, and uh, in 73 they would play some that were over four hours, they always took uh, at least one intermission, sometimes two. Zeppelin were playing uh, shows this long, playing really uh, strenuous stuff uh, without an intermission, which uh, is quite the endurance test on both them and the audience, which uh, is something that uh, a friend of mine on the Led Zeppelin forum who saw them uh, 14 times in California in the 70s uh, mentions a lot that uh, it wasn't necessarily an easy task attending one of their shows, but certainly worth it. So I have this last night at Earl's Court number nine. As far as the recording, it is a uh, a soundtrack to um, the uh, the video that's been bootlegged for many years now, uh, which sounds pretty good, except the uh the drums sound pretty thin and the toms uh hardly got picked up at all which uh kind of taints the listening experience at least for me as a drummer uh but performance wise uh it's pretty good uh it has a a good no quarter um the probably the fastest version of the song remains the same i've ever heard like ridiculously fast um a uh, good in my time of dying, um, a nice uh, acoustic set. It ended up being the last time that they ever played Dazed and Confused. It's a fine version, but it's not nothing to write home about, uh, which is too bad uh, with it being the send-off for what you might argue was their signature song, at least uh, as far as live stuff goes. Uh, the, the one from the night before, which... Uh, we mentioned several spots back uh, is much better. Uh, and then a good stairway and the longest encore uh, stretch of the Earl's Court shows. They do a whole lot of Love and Black Dog and then also Heartbreaker and uh, Communication Breakdown. And uh, communication, communication Breakdown features a, uh, a really nice funky uh, breakdown after the guitar solo with uh, Plant hinting at... Uh, Jamaica from Houses of the Holy. Uh, it's one of only two shows this year that features all four of the uh, the encore songs that they that they did in '75. Uh, the other one we'll get to uh, a few spots from now. Okay, number eight. I have the second last New York show, February thirteenth at Nassau Coliseum. Uh, this one is the uh, the best of the New York shows, in my opinion. Uh, the Plant even says uh, in his opening remarks, tonight we are feeling good, and uh, you can tell by the way that they play. Um, I won't uh, waste your time with going song by song because they're pretty well, all of them are highlights. Uh, it does feature, though, the... Uh, 
the first of three uh, 40 minute versions of Dazed and Confused. This one is the uh, the second longest. Uh, it's a little closer to 41 minutes than 40 and uh, is a very uh, good one. It has one of the best um, outro jams, which uh, the outro jam of Dazed and Confused is one of my favorite sort of songs within a song in their entire catalog. And uh, it's the one or one of two parts of Days that you might say peaked in 1975. Uh, the uh, some parts, like especially the 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 main jam section in the middle, uh, wasn't as good in 75 for the most part as it had been in uh, 73 and uh, to a lesser extent 72. Um, but the uh, the San Francisco Woodstock section and the outro jam were uh, really fantastic in 75. And uh, this February 13th show has one of the best and I believe the longest of the outro jams. Uh, this show is now a soundboard. It had only been available as an audience that recording that wasn't that great uh, for a long time. And then the soundboard surfaced in 2013 if i remember correctly uh and uh it's a very good sounding one. Oh, it also has uh the guest appearance with ronnie wood that i mentioned earlier uh he comes out for uh the last encore of uh, communication breakdown and he and page uh trade solos and lead licks and it's a, a very uh interesting listen it has uh one of my favorite uh plantations which is the uh colloquial way that we leadheads refer to uh plants remarks between songs uh when he's introducing bonham for moby dick he says uh well that was a thing called trampled underfoot and uh now we bring you a man with athlete's foot uh it always cracks me up uh, oh i know what the other thing i was going to say on the old audience recording uh, during Page's bow solo and Dazed and Confused, you could hear a guy uh, walking by selling binoculars, which uh, little things like that are always uh, kind of fun, at least for me when I'm listening, because it uh, helps you to uh, transport yourself back to the 70s, especially as somebody who never lived through them, to remind yourself, like, oh yeah, there wouldn't be massive HD screens at every concert I went to to help see if I had cheap seats, like I'd have to buy binoculars. Uh, anyhow, number seven, February 8th in Philadelphia. This show is uh, significantly shorter than the uh, the other ones in the top 10, but it makes up for it by uh, being uh, Paige's, if not best, second best night of the year. Uh, he plays with uh, remarkable uh, fluidity uh, that uh, hadn't been seen for sure since 73 and wasn't really seen uh, much since or much after uh, this show either. I'm not sure what uh, got into him, why he played so well in Philly, but uh, I'm glad that he did because uh, now we have it to enjoy. Uh, it's a mediocre audience recording, uh, but you can definitely hear what's going on. 
it would be really nice if a soundboard of this came out someday. So uh, that's near the top of my wish list for sure. Uh, number six is a show that uh, gets a lot of mixed reviews, but I have always had uh, a soft spot for, and that is the last night of the North American tour, uh, March 27th at the Forum in Los Angeles. This show is uh, only a few minutes shorter than that last night at Earl's Court uh, and is separated by uh, less than a minute from uh, the, uh, but is longer, I think, than the uh, second Seattle show, uh, which is remarkable because they only play 15 songs uh, at this show compared to 17 the last night in Seattle and uh, 20 the last night at Earl's Court. So uh, they, uh, they play for three hours, 42 minutes and change uh, while only playing 15 songs, which is a uh, crazy average length per song when you think about it. It might not be uh, quite as energetic um, as some of the other ones. Plant doesn't sound quite as good as he did uh, a week before, and uh, Paige isn't always at his most fluid this show, but uh, what it lacks in the sort of uh, precision, uh, I think it more than makes up for in variety. It has a very uh, unique vibe. It has that last night uh, sort of inertia and magical feeling to it. Plant even um, says after In My Time of Dying, which is the uh, the longest uh, ever version of it, when they uh, they find themselves playing a bit of You Shook Me at the end of it, which they would uh, adopt more permanently in 77. Uh, Plant says, I think it might be one of those nights, actually. Uh, and you can tell that they were really enjoying themselves and uh, not quite ready to go home yet. And Paige especially stretches out just about every song. Any chance he gets, it features the uh, the longest ever Over the Hills and Far Away at uh, about eight and a half minutes. And uh, I like it a lot. Some people think that uh, Paige's solo isn't that good, but uh, I think it is. And uh, he also, uh, I think it's a missed cue on his part coming out of it, but he and Jones recover so quickly from it that they just turn it into a little call and response uh, section between the two of them that is, uh, really neat and unique to this show. They follow that with, uh, as I just mentioned, the longest in my time of dying at 13 minutes. Uh, and then a good, a really good energetic song remains the same. A, uh, a gorgeous version of the rain song. Um, and then one of the better 75 versions of cashmere. Uh, and then after that, they, uh, throw in the final, of the three uh, 75 versions of Since I've Been Loving You, which uh, I think at this show, Paige is the one who suggests it. At the Seattle show, um, Plant is the one who uh, surprises the others. Um, it's a bit more relaxed than the Seattle version, but it's still uh, 
a nice one, I think. And then after that, they uh, play the uh, the second longest, uh, no quarter of 75, just under half an hour. And I think, yeah, I would probably say it's my all-time favorite version of no quarter. Uh, it has a really good piano solo from Jones that keeps the uh, the energy and the anticipation building throughout. Has some nice uh, Oriental sounding chords in it uh, at certain parts, and then uh, I think probably the best uh, Jones Bonham like piano drum segment leading into the jam, and then uh, Page's longest no quarter guitar solo. Um, and uh, one of the better ones, in my opinion, not necessarily from a, uh, a speed and fluidity perspective, although he still gets his good runs in, uh, but I think his phrasing on this one is off the charts. And uh, he also, even though it's the longest one that he ever did on No Quarter, I think it he does a better job retaining a sense of plot through the whole thing than I've heard him uh, do on most uh, solos on No Quarter. Uh, it it really feels like it's uh, it's telling some epic story and you're on a, a journey and the uh, the build up towards the uh, the motif that is in the guitar solo on the studio version uh, is uh, gives me goosebumps every time, especially with between it and the crowd's reaction to it. Uh, it, uh, if you're listening to it, it happens just after the 18 minute mark, I believe, uh, check it out. You won't be disappointed. And then, uh, the, uh, the outro is very nice as well. Uh, then they follow that with the second longest trampled underfoot they ever did 11 and a half minutes. Uh, and, one that Paige himself singled out as uh, one of the best versions of it. Uh, and Plant sings uh, some lines from Gallo's Pole during the outro, uh, as he did uh, in the some of the shows prior, especially in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, but I think uh, this one was the uh, the most cohesive sort of blending of it. Uh, and then after that, there's a a, uh, a long and pretty good uh, Moby Dick, and then what's probably the uh, the most notable aspect of this show, uh, the longest ever version of Dazed and Confused, and uh, the uh, the longest version they ever did of any song. It's uh, clocks in at just over 45 minutes. Uh, so at five minutes longer than the second longest version, the uh, the gap between first and second uh, is way bigger than it is for any other song in their catalog. Uh, it's not, I won't sit here and tell you it's uh, one of the best versions of Days and Confused, but it's not bad, uh, in my opinion. Uh, you can tell that Paige is uh, pulling absolutely everything out of the hat. Um, and Bonham gets a little impatient with him at one point and tries to force him back uh, into the return to the main riff, and he overrules him and keeps soloing. And then uh, the next time around, Bonham's a bit more forceful and uh, forces him back into it, lest he uh, keep soloing forever. 
Uh, and then this one also features a, a very good outro uh, jam. Uh, the stairway is uh, so-so, but the, uh, the encore is uh, really good. The whole lot of love uh, section is uh, really cool with one of the best of the, uh, the 75 uh, theremin jams. It might be my favorite, actually. It, uh, Bonham does some really cool stop-start stuff, and uh, and then it, they finish it off with the uh, the longest black dog they ever did at uh, six and a half minutes. So uh, yeah, that one's very long and uh, always feels kind of special to me. I don't know. It's uh, maybe not technically one of the best, but one of my favorites, which brings us to the top five. At number five, I have the second night at Earl's Court in London, May 18th. Uh, this show is by far the best of the Earl's Court shows, in my opinion. Uh, it's very energetic. Page is uh, very fluid. Uh, he uh, plays the Stratocaster on uh, Over the Hills and Far Away and No Quarter, as I uh, mentioned when we were talking about the 23rd. Um, this, this one could rank as high as three. Um, I decided to put it five, but, uh, this is a very good show and, uh, I'm sorry, please excuse the, uh, firecrackers, uh, and fireworks going off in the background. Uh, apparently people are, uh, celebrating Canada two day, Canada day, two days early as usual. Uh, I guess that recreates the uh, the '70s concert experience better than I ever could. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say there's a uh, there's a significant step up in quality uh, from the list up until this point. Uh, as we get into the top five now, uh, these five shows are all uh, really spectacular and. Uh, compare well in my opinion to uh the best shows of uh, any other year that you would like to pick um this uh this may 18th show uh page uh solos really well on over the hills and far away and no quarter uh as well as the song remains the same um it's dazed and confused is uh it's it's tight and energetic and there's no real uh screw ups but they also don't take any uh big chances like they did on the the west coast which uh i think maybe is why i uh have it at 5 instead of 3 as you'll see in a second uh but yeah i don't really have any uh complaints about this show and i th it uh it is an audience recording, uh, a pretty decent one. Uh, it's nice and atmospheric. The, uh, the acoustics at Earl's Court were, uh, quite cavernous and, uh, echoey, but, uh, I think it, in the case of this recording, it, uh, it adds to it and makes it a nice atmospheric, uh, recording and a pretty enjoyable listen. I really like the show a lot and, uh, would highly recommend it to, uh, any of the 75 
doubters out there, and I think it would uh, people would have a much uh, better opinion of the Earl's Court shows if this was the show that most of them listened to, but uh, most people only ever uh, hear the 24th and 25th because those are the two that uh, have the video that's been uh, available in bootleg circles and on YouTube for a long time. Uh, anyhow, number four, March 20th, the uh, second night in Vancouver. Uh, it was a, it's a very close call between this one and uh, number three. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is a, a phenomenal show. They, uh, they play really well and Plant sounds really good for 75, this show uh, especially. I would say it's probably his uh, best or second best night of the year. Um, he even uh, teases his uh, his old immigrant song, uh, Valhalla Cries, during Whole Lot of Love. This show has the uh, the fifth longest version of Days and Confused at uh, 38 and a half minutes, and it's a very good one. Uh, the show has a really cool version of No Quarter, uh, very uh, nice solo from Paige, he does some really cool stuff, and uh, a lovely piano solo from uh, Jones. The show kind of gets uh, lost in the shuffle, I think, between the uh, the night before and the night after, but uh, it definitely deserves its place in the triumvirate. Uh, it's fantastic. That March 20th show is uh, a soundboard. Uh, I think part of the reason it gets lost in the shuffle is that the soundboard uh, didn't surface until uh, 2012, I believe. Uh, and the audience recording that was in circulation before that uh, was not the greatest, and it also did not have No Quarter, Trampled Underfoot, or Moby Dick. It uh, had those three songs from the previous night for whatever reason. So I think that contributed to uh, to the lack of attention that this show gets uh, and also the uh, the lack of mentions that this version of Note Quarter gets in discussions of uh, best ever versions because it uh, most definitely belongs in that conversation. Right, so number three, March 19th, the first night in Vancouver. Uh, this one edges the uh, the second night just slightly. Uh, I think it's a little bit more consistent, uh, a little bit tighter. Pages, uh, well, no, I wouldn't say pages, but he uh, on some songs he's better on the second night. Um, I think you could easily make a uh, a stellar live album if you uh, combine these two nights. If they had been uh, multi-tracked or even if uh, Paige is able to work some magic with the, the master tapes of the soundboard. Um, for sure, you could make a, uh, a box set of the Pacific Northwest shows that would be uh, fantastic and uh, better than the song remains the same, I would say. Uh, yeah, this uh, March 19th show is also a soundboard. I would say it's the best sounding soundboard of 75 and maybe the uh 
the best sounding Zeppelin board out there, period. It, uh, I think it, I don't think I'm being, uh, hyperbolic to say it's, uh, in the top five bootlegs of their entire career from a sound quality perspective. And, uh, the performance is, uh, equally pristine, uh, features a, uh, a great over the hills and far away with a really pretty, uh, prologue that page adds to the outro. Um, in my time of dying plant includes a hilarious ad lib that I won't say on here. Cause we're, uh, like to keep it a kid friendly show for the, uh, the young lead heads and dead heads out there. But, uh, if you go listen to it, you'll know what I mean. Uh, the song remains the same after that is, uh, well played. I think the one, the fault, the one on the 20th is, uh, a bit better for the song remains the same, but, uh, the, the version of the rain song on the 19th is my all time favorite version of the rain song. It literally brought me to tears when I was listening to this show, uh, three months ago, just, uh, yeah, phenomenal, uh, rendition of one of my favorite songs of theirs. And then, uh, a good cashmere and then one of the, uh, all time best versions of no quarter. Uh, it's the shortest of the four Pacific Northwest versions. It's only 22 minutes and change, but they cram a lot into that 22 minutes. It's, uh, definitely one of the best and most complex, uh, versions to that point. Uh, Jones's piano solo is really good. Uh, Page has some wonderfully, uh, spooky theremin howls leading into it. Uh, and then the Jones Bonham groove is ridiculously cool. And, uh, once Paige comes in, it's a really fantastic and, uh, entertaining little, uh, jazz rock, uh, odyssey. And, uh, it has a nice climax too, with a, a little subdued section just before it. Uh, and then some good soloing with the wah-wah from Paige, uh, in the outro. Um, and then a, uh, one of the better trampled underfoots, uh, follows that, uh, Paige, uh, hints at, uh, Voodoo Child, um, just beforehand, actually, which is cool. Uh, and then a, uh, short but energetic, uh, Moby Dick, uh, and then Dazed and Confused is the sixth longest, uh, at 37 and a half minutes. Uh, the, it's interesting. The, uh, the, there's only six, uh, times when it crossed 35 minutes and those six, uh, longest versions, five of them are in this last, uh, basically week of the 75 tour. Uh, both nights in Vancouver, the second night in Seattle, and the uh, second and third night in LA. The only other one is the uh, the February thirteenth Uniondale one that we discussed uh, a little bit ago. And then uh, a very good Stairway to Heaven, as is the uh, the one on the twentieth. I should have mentioned. And then uh, a uh, a very nice uh, whole lot of love, Black Dog uh, encore to. Uh, close out this uh 
top three show of 75 and it has a very nice vibe to it uh the uh, the plantations are good it sounds like it would have been a really nice one to attend uh same with the 20th those two are uh really neck and neck they're always a very enjoyable pairing to listen to okay number two is the second night in long beach march 12th uh, this show is extremely energetic. Um, Paige, uh, when I mentioned about the Philadelphia show, that it was Paige's best or second best night of the tour, this is the uh, the other one that's in that conversation. He uh, plays with uh, very good fluidity uh, to a level that was uh, certainly uncommon in 75 because of his... Uh, finger injury uh the they have a false start on the song remains the same because of a uh, jimmy's cu- guitar cutting out and then uh when they start it back up again they're extra like fired up to make up for the the false start and just blow the doors off the place um plant dedicates cashmere to anybody who got divorced that day which uh it's always funny. Uh, and then the no quarter at this show is very unique. Uh, you may have noticed, by the way, how I single out no quarter at practically every show. Uh, that's because I think 1975 is uh, the best year for no quarter. And uh, I would say no quarter is their second best live song uh, after Dazed and Confused. So, uh, yeah, 75 no quarters are one of the best things to talk about in all of the live Led Zeppelin over. Um, I hope I said that word right. Anyway, yeah, so this no quarter, Jones plays a uh, almost two minute long little prelude to the, uh, the intro proper which uh, sounds really cool and haunting, and uh, he never did that at any other show, as far as I know, Um, which uh, adds an extra mystique to this version. Uh, And then the rest of it is really good, too. Uh, His piano solo and uh, the jam has some really nice interplay between the three of them, uh, especially between Paige and Bonham towards the end of it, Uh, a very nice version. And then... uh, a very good dazed for 75 uh, from an energy uh, perspective and a fluidity perspective on Paige's part. Uh, and then Stairway is very good. And uh, the whole lot of love, Black Dog, uh, part of the encore is good. But then they come back out for uh, what is the longest version of Heartbreaker that they ever played. And it is really good, and they uh, they end up getting into uh, Muddy Waters' "I'm a Man" uh, in the uh, guitar solo section, and uh, play it really well. And that's cool. Uh, this show is a Mike Millard recording from "Stairway to Heaven" to the end only. Unfortunately, um, I believe he. Uh, there's some story about he either he got delayed getting to the show or I think that's what it was. Anyhow, the uh, from 
the beginning through Dazed and Confused had only been available in a very bad audience recording until a few years ago when a uh, third source surfaced for everything except Trampled Underfoot. And it actually sounds really good and is quite atmospheric. So now it's a, uh, a very enjoyable listen and we're able to confirm what uh, we had all thought that this was one of the best shows of the year. And last, but certainly not least, the best show of 1975, in my opinion, and uh, that of many others, is the second night in Seattle on March 21st. Uh, this show is now available uh, as a soundboard uh, as of 2017. Um, before that, it was a an okay to good audience recording, uh, but this show has been one of legend for a long time, and rightfully so. It's uh, separated by less than a minute from that uh, last night in Los Angeles that we uh, covered a few minutes ago uh, at just over three hours, 42 minutes, uh, making it one of the uh, top uh, top four longest shows of their career uh, and I would say it's uh, by far the best of those uh, ones that crossed the three hour 40 minute mark uh, it's very energetic from start to finish uh, which is crazy for that length and uh, it's one of those ones where uh, Paige gets even better after Moby Dick which is crazy because it's also one where he starts off really well. Uh, yeah, I, I like the, uh, you almost run out of words talking about this one. It also happens to be my, my favorite show, uh, of any year of their career and, uh, my favorite show by anybody. Um, it, uh, the opening, well, before you even get to the opening song, on the audience recording, it uh, captures some uh, stage announcements, basically telling the people with seats behind the stage to uh, fret not because uh, once the lights go down, they'll have a good view. And uh, then it says the, the American return of Led Zeppelin. And then you have all the, uh, the crowd going nuts because the lights have gone down. And then the, the opening one-two punch of rock and roll and sick again is uh, very high energy, uh, especially for 75. And Plant sounds good right out of the gate on rock and roll. Uh, and then Bonham is uh, incredibly aggressive during sick again, uh, doing fills at every turn. And uh, he plays a, a really aggressive pattern during the, uh, the outro solo, which is really cool. Uh, and then Plant greets the crowd and says, uh, well, we went across the border and that was all right, but it's much better back here and that's no lie. And, uh, I don't really take offense to that as a, uh, as a Canadian, because I know they really liked Vancouver as well, but Seattle was, uh, just behind Los Angeles as far as their very favorite places to play. Uh, part of that's because they used to stay at this hotel called the Edgewater Inn, 
where they could fish off the uh, the balcony of their rooms. And Bonham especially really enjoyed that. Uh, but I've never actually been to Seattle. I've only, I've went to Vancouver uh, on the way to Whistler skiing when I was really little, but uh, from everything I've seen, I can understand why you would really like playing there. It looks really beautiful and uh, laid back and everything. And I can see why it would be one of their favorite places to play. Uh, they uh, follow that with a really good over the hills and far away. Uh, the uh, the energy is still high. And then uh, one of my favorite versions of In My Time of Dying where a uh, plant pulls off some uh, very high uh, notes, especially for 75. Uh, I think it's one of his best uh, vocal performances of the year. And then a, uh, a very fast and energetic song remains the same. Uh, plant ad-libs, uh, Seattle, won't you listen now? Uh, into a, a very good version of the Rain song. Uh, a thunderous uh, cashmere, maybe the best of uh, 75. Uh, and then one of the highlights of the show, uh, as it is for most of these 75 shows, as I just said a few minutes ago, No Quarter. Um, this one is the the fastest of the uh, the jazzy versions and uh, the best of them. Uh, Jones's piano solo is unbelievably good. I think I would say it's his best piano solo, in my opinion. Lots of cool ideas in it, very good flow. It stays appropriately uh, haunting for the mood of the song. Sometimes it it wasn't quite uh, dark enough in 77 especially, but uh, this one uh, is just right. It also uh, includes... Um, some uh, hints of Georgia on my mind by Ray Charles, uh, which is neat. And then uh, once Bonham comes in, it's uh, it's off to the races. Y- you can tell it's going to be uh, one hell of a jam. And then uh, Page plays a really good solo, and uh, Jones starts playing some avant-garde piano stuff towards the end of the jam, and. Uh, you know, like playing in a different key than Page, and uh, but the the dissonance sounds really cool. And then uh, he finally works his way back to the uh, the proper key for the uh, the return to the last verse, and then uh, Page just shreds the outro. Uh, really good stuff. Uh, it clocks in just under twenty five minutes, and. Uh, would absolutely be one of the best versions uh, of all time. And I would say for sure the best uh, sub 25 minute, uh, probably the best sub 30 minute version once you get longer than the, uh, the very best versions from 73. Some might prefer those, but yeah, very good. No quarter. And then the uh, the other of the three, 75 Since I've Been Loving Yous, which Plant uh, surprises the rest of the band with. Uh, he even says uh, there's one that we've done 
uh, two times since we got ripped off for all of that uh, bread in New York ages ago, referring to uh, how they were robbed uh, just before the uh, the last show of the 73 tour at Madison Square Garden, $200,000 disappeared from their safety deposit box at the Drake Hotel in New York. Uh, so when he says that they've done it twice since then, I suppose he's counting the last night there in 73 and then the the one time they had done it so far in 75 in New York. Uh, this Seattle version of it, I think, is the best of the three 75 since I've been loving these. Uh, it's a bit more energetic than the other two, uh, and Paige plays really well on it. And also, uh, just before Plant says that about how uh, they're going to do Since I've Been Loving You, because of how much they like playing in Seattle, he says, uh, he mentions how, you know, they had the long layoff and it was kind of frustrating and that uh, they've really been enjoying themselves back on the road and that they've found that everything they thought they could do well before they can do better now. Uh, but then he says, if they, uh, if they were to try to prove that, uh, every night they would be under doctor's orders and wouldn't have time for anything other than music and says, you must have other interests when you're on the road and everybody, you know, claps in, uh, agreement. And then, uh, he said, and then he says the, but because we really dig playing here and for no other reason we're going to, and then they play sensibility. Anyhow, so after that, uh, we get a very, uh, upbeat and aggressive trampled underfoot, uh, plant gets a tad lost in, uh, the opening verses, but, uh, doesn't detract from a, uh, a, uh, a very powerful and good performance, uh, with a good midsection and uh plant um repeatedly singing uh some lines from uh gallows pole during the outro oh he sings a uh, seesaw knock on my door gonna swing over and over again during the outro um so uh and it's one of the longer ones of uh of the year as well at uh just over nine minutes uh and then after that um Plant again uh, makes mention of what a good time they're having there and says, uh, I think this concert has the right vibes for a good time. Uh, no pretense. Everything is just straight on the level. It's really nice, really feels good. Uh, so you can tell that they were uh, really enjoying themselves and they, uh, you know, they knew that they were playing well and they're confident, which uh, I'm sure contributed to the quality of the performance. Uh, so from there we get uh, one of the better versions of Moby Dick, uh, certainly one of the best 75 versions and one of the longer ones at uh, just under 27 minutes. Uh, a really good one. Um, and then after that is uh, the highlight of the show, in my opinion, uh, my personal favorite version of Dazed and Confused and uh, the other of the three 40-minute versions. It's the shortest of the 40-minute versions. Uh, it's like 40 minutes and seven seconds, but it's by far the best of the three. Now, when I say it's my uh, my favorite version, 
I acknowledge that uh, there are lots of 73 versions where Page's soloing is a bit more fluid and uh, sure, they're a bit more concise and maybe Bonham goes a little crazier on some of the Europe 73 versions. But if you if you think of Live, Dazed, and Confused, uh, certainly by this point in their career as almost like a a rock symphony, I consider this version to be the uh, the complete evolution of the piece. All each and every section is executed uh, perfectly, uh, expanded upon from the uh, whatever like the average way that they would do it for the tour was uh, just the right amount, and all of the transitions uh, are really smooth. Uh, they do get a tad out of sync on their return to the main riff, but by that point, it uh, it hardly matters. Uh, the initial, uh, like the intro and the initial verses are really good. The, uh, the lead into the bow solo little solo segment is uh, really good with Paige uh, letting loose and then the uh, the ethereal interlude between that and the Woodstock section which was uh, unique to 75 is one of the better ones and uh, as I mentioned uh, when I was talking about the first Seattle show uh, they, uh, they finished the evolution of that little jam that was unique to these Pacific Northwest shows and uh all three of them join in this time uh in sync and it sounds really good and then they go from that straight into the uh the san francisco woodstock section but uh this time around plant sings uh buffalo springfields for what it's worth which uh sounds fantastic uh synced up to the the music of this section which would uh soon become Achilles last stand uh, on the one hand I wish he had uh, sung for what it's worth in this section more often because of how well it works but because he didn't didn't it uh, it only adds to the mystique of this show uh, by making it so unique uh, I would say this is the best iteration of uh, that section of the song by far uh, then he does sing a bit of uh, Woodstock just the back to the garden part after that and then uh, he even ends up singing a bit of i shot the sheriff just before page uh, picks up the bow as uh, page ended up playing some reggae ish uh, licks and then uh it's a very good bow solo and uh a uh, a fantastic uh midsection at least by 75 standards i think um Bonham's very lively throughout. Uh, Page is soloing really well. Jones is uh, grooving along, and it's one of the longer ones. And it also features one of only four instances in 75 where they included the uh, circular funk uh, section, as it's referred to on LedZeppelinReference.com. This is the part after the the guitar solo proper as it appears on the uh, studio version of Dazed. Uh, Between that and Paige's call and response with Plant, it was a uh, one of the best parts of the song in the the years 
prior to 75, but then for some reason they, uh, they didn't do it most nights in 75, but they did do it on the last night in New York, the, this is the last night in Seattle and the, uh, last two nights in LA, uh, if you hadn't noticed the, uh, the pattern already of the last nights in those three places getting, uh, a lot of extra treats. Uh, and then, yeah, the, uh, the return to the main riff and then it has a, a great and, uh, cacophonous in the best way, uh, outro jam with, uh, I saw it, uh, I think it was, uh, on the Zeppelin forum Gibson fan 159 when he was doing his uh his nitpicking page installment for this show uh the revision uh version on uh when he was covering days he uh, said at whatever uh timestamp it is uh plant lands his spaceship and uh if you listen you'll know what he means uh he during this section of the song plant would often sing uh some lines from do what you like by blind faith uh, and then other times he would just do random assorted, uh, ethereal howls and whatever else, uh, he felt accompanied what Paige was doing with the, the Wawa. And, uh, yeah, this is one of the better, uh, sections of that part of the song. And from there we get, uh, the, the longest, uh, 75 version of stairway to heaven and i would say uh the best uh plant sings very well and page plays a unbelievably good uh solo one of my favorites of his on stairway uh it's long uh because this version is uh clocks in at about 12 minutes 50 seconds uh it's long but it builds really nicely the whole way and has some some nice unique uh ideas in it uh, and the dedi- plant dedicates it to uh, Jimi Hendrix after Page uh, plays a little bit of uh, Louis Louis when Plant mentions the Kingsmen and other uh, Seattle musicians and doesn't get a big uh, response from the crowd. And then he says, well, I know there's someone from Seattle who you know and before uh, dedicating Stairway to Jimi Hendrix. Uh, and then they start uh, the long string of encores, which... Uh, as I mentioned when I was talking about the uh, last night at Earl's Court, this is the other uh, show in 75 where they played all four of the encore songs that were typical that year. Uh, they do the longest 75 whole lot of love over 10 minutes, uh, going into a very good uh, black dog for 75. Uh, a lot of times it sounded kind of plodding, uh, coming in at the end of such a long set list, but on this night, it's really good. Uh, and then they come back out and do a, uh, a quick and aggressive communication breakdown, uh, leading straight into, uh, a very good, uh, heartbreaker to, uh, to close the show. And, uh, yeah, so that one is my favorite, uh, Led Zeppelin show of 75, my favorite Led Zeppelin show of any year, and uh, my favorite show by anybody. So I highly recommend you listen to that. That's March 21st, 1975 at Seattle Center Coliseum.
Okay, so that is uh, pretty much all I have to say about 1975. It, uh, it got off to a rough start for them with uh, Paige's broken finger and Plants flu, but uh, by the time they hit their stride towards the end of March, I think they were playing on par with the, uh, the better stretches of any other year in their career, and uh, I will stand by 75 to all of the uh, 75 haters whenever I need to, because it is one of my favorite years. I think the shows have a really nice vibe to them. I like the set list, and uh, when their uh, when their bodies cooperated to uh, to play that set list to its full potential, I think the results were uh, really spectacular. Okay, so I hope you all enjoyed this uh, journey through one of my favorite tours, and uh, I will see you next time. Class dismissed.